Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith here with your welcome toast. It was Julia Child who said a party without cake is just a meeting. Listen to our show in small bites or enjoy the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we have something really, really fun for you. It's a book called Secret Sauces. Now, a lot of people are afraid to make a sauce, a pan sauce. It's not hard at all. We're going to tell you how easy this is and how you can take the most ordinary thing or the thing that Faith has made a mistake with. (laughs) In other words, I will sometimes overcook my chicken breast, I don't know about you, and I rescue it with a little simple pan sauce. That's the thing. So Secret Sauce is how to elevate everyday dishes. That's coming up later in the show. Right now, we want to return to a subject we covered recently. And that is this idea of soup as a meal. Why? Because it's absolutely delicious. We're giving you our personal recipes. This is the easiest thing to do. You can do it in a slow cooker if you want. Whatever you want to do to make soup into a meal. If you want to doctor something that maybe you're someone who doesn't want all that sodium, we can tell you what to do about that. Okay. Are you ready? We have this posted at the site, all of our recipes. So you're going to hear from me about this lentil vegetable soup with curry powder in it. That Mm. is really kind of good, I have to say. It's one of my favorite things. And we've got from Alex a seafood soup and from Chris stress-reducing chicken soup. Who doesn't need this? Oh. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. And this is, honestly, I came up with this recipe because it was a time in my life where I had a lot going on and I needed something to just calm me down. Whenever I feel a little stressed out or whatever, I make this soup. Is it the act of making any soup that would have calmed you down, or is there something in this chicken soup? I now like to think it's just this soup because it really does trigger me now. The smells, the uh, flavors of it, the comforting of it, the fact that I thicken it a little bit with Mm cornstarch. And it has turmeric, and turmeric, if you believe it or not, does have that soothing effect, right? I believe it. Okay, so. so... Uh, Onions, carrots, Mm -hmm. celery, basic ingredients in soup. Diced chicken breast, you can use chicken thighs, doesn't matter. Turmeric, garlic, Mm -hmm. a little bit of white wine, uh, low-sodium chicken broth, a little bit of water. So we start off by just sautéing that a little bit in oil. The onions, the carrot, the celery, throw in your chicken, cook that for a minute, throw in your turmeric, stir that around, throw in your garlic, stir that around, and then add your wine, let it reduce a little bit. Because now the flavors of that turmeric start coming out. Mm. And that's when I start, you know, chanting a little bit, <laughs> getting so, myself more centered. You mentioned briefly that you thicken it with cornstarch and water, yeah. which makes this gluten-free. Gluten-free. So bring the chicken broth and water, put it in there, bring it up to a simmer. And once it starts simmering, you let it cook for a little bit. And then 
at the end, you want to thicken it so it's a slurry. It's uh, equal parts cornstarch and water. Just in you a bowl. S- yeah, in a bowl. You mix. It. I just mix it with my finger. And then as the soup is simmering, you just sort of very slowly stir it in there. And it gets like this viscosity that's just like a hug. Almost like Asian soup. Yeah. Right? And then I, I like uh, this. Yeah. And then I uh, honey. Really? Honey? Yeah. Just again, honey he, in he my tea. Honey. Yeah. I love honey he puts in my honey tea. honey in everything. I just love honey. I sometimes uh, fresh honey black... just out of the bowl, like at no, home. No, he puts it in his salad oh, dressing. Yeah, I he love does a little things. honey. That's a good a, cheater ingredient. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. A little black a little pepper. Sweetness. Taste it if it needs salt, depending on your broth. And then cooked noodles. You cooking. could use anything, right? Yeah, you could, could use, use rice. You could use and whatever. This, this is super important. Cook your noodles like overcook them until they get big and squishy. <laughs> yeah. Because squishy. that's part of the ohm of okay. the soup. Yeah. Because that comforting in the feel. And then I put some fresh chives in it and you want to put a little dash of you, hot sauce. You mean you, you like sprinkle it, it on yeah, the top? Yeah, on top. Wow. I'm telling you, this just this brings is, me back to this earth. This is crisp raspberries, stress free, gluten free. <laughs> Should uh, bottle it up. Should bottle Chicken soup. <laughs> Prescription only. Prescription yeah. only. It's an antidepressant yeah. in a bowl. It's an antidepressant in a bowl. It makes you feel good. I make it for when people, when I have friends that are sick, like with a cold, where the noodles get all broken up in there, and it's just yum. Oh, my goodness. That sounds so good. It's on our website right now at foodschmooze.org. We're going to get to some of these others in just a second. This is a favorite soup of mine to make. We're doing soup as a meal on this edition of the Food Schmooze, and we're doing it again with brand new recipes because it has been so popular with people. This is my hearty curried lentil vegetable soup. It serves about six people, which is great. Freeze some, and you can just pull it out on any weeknight or weekend. So brown lentils or red lentils. I like the red ones. I just think mm. they're kind of fun. And do, they, do they have a different flavor? I, I don't know this. Most people say no, and a few people say mm. yes. What happens is that the red lentils are used in Indian food, and so the ingredients are different, and therefore the lentils taste oh. different. That's yeah, my secret possible. theory. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I love the red lentils. Yeah. I just find They're them looking beautiful. Anyway. <laughs> they are pretty. Too. Okay, so a little bit of olive oil, minced garlic, red onions, some carrots, zucchini, sweet potato, chicken broth, low sodium though. Italian stewed tomatoes in a can, a bay leaf, paprika, mild curry powder. You don't have to spend a fortune. Listen to how easy this is. In a soup pot, saute some red onion slices in just like a teaspoon of olive oil. And you want to wait until they're slightly crispy. It'll take you about 20 minutes. That's probably the longest part of this. When they're done, you take them out, soak them on a paper towel so that as much oil can come off as possible. What do you need extra oil for? Then put the lentils into the soup pot, and you add a couple containers of chicken broth or one plus one of water. Cover those lentils by one inch, and you boil them for about 10 minutes. And then you set those lentils aside, a little bit more olive oil in the bottom of that soup pot, and here comes the usual suspects, the carrots, small diced sweet potato, small diced zucchini, and you stir and cook that about five minutes. Then you put those crispy onions back in, a little Mm. dash of that curry powder, a little dash of paprika, your fresh garlic that's all minced up, and you stir and cook that for a couple minutes, add back those cooked lentils 
lentils, you throw in a bay leaf, you put in the can of crushed tomatoes, the rest of the chicken stock, bring it to a boil, cover it, put it on simmer, and you let it sit there for about 45 minutes. Mm. And baby, you have something really delicious. Now, there's something I do. I don't know if anyone wants to do this, but I love thick thick, mm, thick soup. Saying, I yeah. have an immersion blender, one of those yeah. sticks, <laughs> and I, I plug it in and I stick it into my pot. It thickens it and yeah. it is all these flavors. Yeah, creamy, it's right? just creamy and amazing. Yeah, the, I the do that. Melt. Do you have to do this? No. You really, really don't. But if you have an immersion blender, stick yeah, it in there and turn it on. Just be careful, like, though. Yeah, yeah, it gets, yeah, but, it and, and you don't have to do the whole thing. You can yeah, just, just do a just, just a little couple pulses to thicken it, right? Yeah. So, it makes it so yummy. Oh, and in a minute. And then I serve this in bowls oh. with a dollop of yogurt on oh. each one. Gives it a little zing. Non-fat. Yeah. You know, because I'm watching my calories. Yeah. Some people love heat. They just add a little hot sauce. So you do a little cilantro on top for green or scallions or whatever you want. I'd give you full permission yeah. to mm-hmm. add your your favorite yeah. flavor profile. I love lentil soup. Yeah. Something about eating a bowl of lentil soup and just makes you feel better. It's really rich in iron. So my mom yeah. growing up made us eat it once a week uh, for soup? iron content. You know? Really? Yeah. Huh. And iron is tied into blood health, so sure. it makes you, yeah. gives you energy. Huh. Mm-hmm. My mother made me drink the juice out of canned vegetables, which was... <laughs> I'm sure she had it in I'm her so head. I'm so sorry. I would like that probably. She would I say would there's like lots that. of iron in that. Oh, I'm and sure there is. And she meant that literally. Like yeah. literally iron shavings. <laughs> oh, my God. The way the way these health ideas come up, it's just hysterical. Um, okay, so that's at foodschmooze.org right now. And may I invite you once again to join us on Facebook and continue the conversation. You know, maybe you do a chicken soup that is so unusual. Will you tell us what your tricks are and your tips are? Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. That's where we are on Facebook. Or family recipes, right? People now are coming up to me and like, oh, you know, my mom or grandmother used to make this. I hear a lot of like Italian soups, pasta fagiole or the meatball soup. I mean, everyone's got Mm -hmm. some soup either they grew up on or they remember from their childhood. Brings you right back. Brings you right back. Well, that was Alex the last time we did this. Okay, um, Alex Province, what do you have? What do you do? I have a similar one to what I did last time where I reused the chicken carcass after a chicken dinner. This one, I save all of my frozen lobster shells from during the summer and... You just put them in a Ziploc bag and just accumulate them over a couple of months and or a year. And you put them in the freezer? Keep so them in the freezer. Let me. I do this with shrimp shells. Shrimp shells, shrimp shells perfect. Yeah. Can, you, can you mix the two, sure Chris can. and yeah. Prosperity, totally. to make this broth? So Better what you, to mix the two together. So really? I, mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. So I take a really heavy bottom stock pot. In that, I'll add a little glug of olive oil. I'll throw in carrots, onions, you know, all finely chopped. The shells, some celery, bacon, a bay leaf, Ooh, maybe bacon. a little... Um, yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah, Wait, yeah. go back to that. Yeah. Bacon. <laughs> and then I'll do a little tomato paste, like a scoop of tomato paste as well. It's like thick and yeah, hearty. Know. And so you saute that a little bit and then add some water. Oh, I, I might add a little shot of sherry sure. or brandy or cognac yep. or Great with you know, lobster and shrimp. something like that. And if you use a sweeter like a sherry, it gives it like a little, uh, you know, oh, a little yeah. sweet. Note. Harvey's Bristol cream. A little cream. sweet yeah. sherry. So you add some water to that. And now the shells, they give like the most 
beautiful seafoody. Like yeah, it's almost aroma. better than the lobster, yeah. in my opinion. There is something, some kind in the of shell. briny yeah. essence of something. Yeah, the that essence is in of there. the ocean. That Throw comes some bay out. leaves in, and I thought yeah. you were going to use bay leaf in your recipe because they say bay leaves actually calm you down as well. If I had, we're going to come back to this. <laughs> I want to come back to the bay leaf. What yeah. is the bay leaf? Okay, I, so go okay, ahead. so now you just let this simmer, and you, you don't boil it hard. Just let it gently simmer, top on for whatever, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and taste as you go. You can add some salt, some pepper. Then I'll strain all that, get the shells and everything out. Now you end up with a beautiful, clear soup. Then I'll add nicely cut potatoes, some onions, some nicely cut celery, Mm. you know, stuff that you want it to look pretty. At the last minute, I'll put in a pretty piece of fish or some shrimp oh, out of the sure. freezer. Oh, so yeah. you can have lobster, you know, and you yeah. don't need a lot. And then you don't want to overcook it. So you put it in at the end, yeah. serve it. And in the bowl, just do a little drizzle of sherry wine on yeah. top. It just oh, gives it this yeah. aromatic. Oh, nice, I love this. Like a lobster biscuit. But again, it's like one. almost a, short of having to spend money on the fish. This is like something you would have otherwise thrown away. Yeah. You know, the shells you would have yeah. gone in the garbage. Yeah. And you don't even need to do, right? You could just do the vegetables. You don't need to yeah. put fish in it. Yeah. Right. Corn, you throw yeah. in some oh. corn. As well. Or if so, you have corn left over in the freezer from the yeah. summer like I do. Or you, wow. if you don't, buy frozen some corn. frozen sure. corn. Sure. So I love that recipe, and that's at our site, foodschmooze.org. Very quickly, the bay leaf. The more the I leaf. see the single <laughs> bay leaf in something, I will tell you, number one, I have no idea what flavor it gives to something. I really don't know. I just do it when they tell me to do it. I realized the other day does this do? And then, number one. Number two, where does the bay leaf come from? What is going on with the bay leaf? I have a fresh bay leaf plant. It's really pretty. It's like a laurel tree, Yeah, it's a laurel tree, and I never use it. (laughs) I don't get it. What is with Uh, the bay leaf? All the chefs out there are going to kill me. I got nothing for you. It's just that thing you have to remember to fish out. I I don't get it. I love it. Again, I'm one of the... I'm I'm one of the most horrible student chefs at Culinary Institute of America in the world. They they were, like, celebrating. No, but they were celebrating when I left because I was always the kid going, why, why, why? Now we're chefs are more intuitive and they're more like want to learn about whys. Um, but back then, no one could tell me why. So I took a pot of boiling water, mm-hmm. about a gallon. I stuck a bay leaf in it. And then I took another pot of water and I put nothing in it, brought them both up to a boil, and I tasted both. Like a- like a broth. So one had one bay leaf. Because you're supposed to take one bay leaf and put it in a gallon of soup. Okay, here we go. And I got like a, the faintest little like well, something. So and then I'm you like, you know more? what? This, this just makes no sense. If you add more... <laughs> was he famous at the CIA for having oh, I was done this? Famous for like, is he done yet? Are you <laughs> telling me that the bay leaf did nothing, no flavor in A the water? A teeniest little like something, dis- but nothing. When where... they're fresh, when bay leaves are like fresh and still aromatic, and you add two or three. They definitely give like a spicy characteristic. Oh yeah, three or four or five or six. Yeah. And in my a gallon grandmother of water. in Spain, they oh, they use them, but they have laurel trees growing everywhere. Yeah. So if I've you, never if it's actually a... seen a bay leaf, a fresh bay leaf oh, in yeah. the grocery yeah. store. They must keep them in a no, special. I have a, place. I have a bush. I have a refrigerated bush section. My mom oh. has fresh. My mom has one that's like six I mean, feet tall. Yeah. It's a tree. I keep thinking that the spice and herb people are back in the some factory somewhere. You know, like 
falling down laughing at the Breaking Christmas party. Yeah. Going like, <laughs> we sold them more leaves. We sold them more leaves. Okay, so wait, before we go, I will say one thing. I do a spice blend. I put bay leaf and I grind it up. Yeah. So it's like a garam masala. And then I really taste it because now oh, it's now part of com- something. And I'm not truth. putting one bay leaf in a gallon pot of water and getting this wisp of nothingness. I'm getting this really intense flavor. Oh, so use correctly like a spice, then you got some. Yeah, or like Alice said, if it's really that's... fresh and yeah. you're using three or four or five or six, yeah. then you start getting something. Yeah. Okay. But the one bay leaf, I just not. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad I asked about <laughs> Flavorless that. dried this up whole thing. hilarious. Okay. Um, Robin, what do you got? I have a tip that I learned from Chris that I want to make sure everyone does because it changed my life. One time Chris made us a pasta fajoule or something like that, and he garnished with pesto. Now, I, that is a restaurant thing. I had never done that before in my life, and now I put a little dollop of pesto on any soup. I find myself working my spoon around mm. the bowl, getting a little bit of pesto in every bite. Oh, good That's how idea. To make it good. Yeah. I think your pesto could be in every single one of our soup recipes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, That's totally. a really yeah. good yeah, idea. Yeah, the tomato and chicken. Oh, my God. I oh. Never, yeah, a little yeah, dollop lentil. of that on the lentil. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Oh, thank you, Chris, seafood. for that. Yeah. Seafood yeah. soup. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. How fun is this? I just, I love being with these people. We love being with you. Coming up, a little later in the show, we have a book we're excited about. It's called Secret Sauces, and it's how to elevate everyday dishes using a sauce, a simple sauce you make, a sauce that was just going to elevate what you're having to such an extent you're almost in it for the sauce. That is coming up on the show. I'm going to ask my buddies. I've got a speech to give, so I am off, and I'm asking my uh, beloved partners in crime here to continue with you and have a good time with you, and I know they will. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, where all of our soup recipes live. We'll be right back. Teach me all your favorite foods I want to cook for you. Teach me all your favorite foods I want to cook for you. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Welcome back. This is the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I'm senior producer Robin Doyon Aiken. I'm with Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, and wine broker and industrious home cook Alex Province of <laughs> hey. Hartford. Faith is away on assignment, so the guys and I are taking over the next two segments. Stay, have a glass of wine with us. But before we get to our wine, I'd like to remind you that you have lots of ways to listen to our show. Subscribe to our podcast, and you never have to miss an episode of The Food Schmooze. Go to foodschmooze.org, and on the right-hand side of the homepage, you'll see the tab that says Get the Podcast. Click it and subscribe. 
If you like what you hear, let the world know by rating us in iTunes so that other food and drink lovers can find our podcast. The more, the merrier. You can also listen on demand on our website. There's a play button in the middle of our homepage. Press it. Listen while you make dinner. Dance around to beans and cornbread while you make beans and (laughs) cornbread. And have yourself a grand old time. Okay, so Alex and Chris, it's the middle of January. Burr. Yeah. Besides that, lots of us have made and perhaps maybe broken by now our New Year's resolutions. But um, I'd like to offer some hope here. We had a listener reach out to us on Facebook and say, hey, for 2018, I've found myself maybe needing a low salt diet. Yeah. And she was looking for some recommendations for how to still have well-seasoned, flavorful dishes without tons of salt. So I told her the thing that Faith always says, and that's like herbs, herbs, and more herbs. That's one way. Yeah. If you have to decrease one thing, Mm -hmm. increase something else to amp up the flavor, and nothing is a better amper-upper of flavor than... Bacon. (laughs) (laughs) That has salt in it. We stop it. (laughs) Don't uh, don't taunt our listener who um, maybe is not going to be having bacon for a while. But since her question was really about salt, I happened to see an interesting column in Cook's Illustrated that talked about the relationship between salt and serving temperature. Yes. So here's what the scenario is. Mm -hmm. At Cook's Illustrated, they did a test where they made some broth, soup broth, and that's timely right now. Mm -hmm. And when people had the broth and it was very hot, they thought a good amount of salt for that was going to be three teaspoons. Then later on, after the soup cooled down about to 90 degrees or so, Mm -hmm. so we're talking about lukewarm, people required then to have the broth taste delicious two teaspoons of salt. Really? That one fascinated me. So that was like the moderate level. Mm -hmm. And then for a final test, people tasted the broth cold Mm -hmm. and required four teaspoonfuls of salt to get that tasted. Yeah. So So cold more. Yeah. Cold more, Mm -hmm. hot. Hot. Yeah. Hot less. A little less. A little less. But I didn't know the middle one. The middle is the The sweet spot. Yeah, it's the least. Yes. One of the takeaways for me I was thinking was that it's not just about how much salt do you put in? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. if you're following a recipe, you put in the amount of salt that's in the recipe, and then you taste as you go and that kind of thing. But that extra little shake of salt that you do it right after the dish is finished cooking, maybe hold off on that and salt the dish as you are going to eat it. Yep. Uh, so maybe not room temperature, but mm-hmm. warm. So like the idea that that 90 degrees was lukewarm, that's the optimum time to salt your dish and be happy with that kind of lower amount of salt, your palate is going to be happy with that. You know, that totally makes sense. But there's also another way that we learned in school years and years ago, and that is that we taste these certain things, right? What do we taste as human beings? Salt, sweet, Mm -hmm. bitter, bitter, sour, sour, and then the fifth one's umami. We'll just put that one on the side for now. Yeah. But let's just- my favorite one. I know, but let's put those on the, (laughs) we'll put it on the side because we're talking about salt. So if you want to- Use less salt. You go with another flavor that doesn't go against it, right? Like if you use sugar, it knocks down the taste of salt. But if you use acid, it Mm. accentuates the taste of salt. So perfect, perfect example. So you can use less salt if you use a squeeze of lime juice. Uh-huh. And you know you've done this because you've eaten tacos where you squeeze the lime on it, and when you put it in your mouth, it sort of pops with flavor. That's a right? great example. And that's and so that's the, a great way. Like, and it doesn't even have to be 
lime juice. It could be vinegar. So that makes sense. So the opposite is if you oversalt something, you can add like sugar, sugar to make it seem like you didn't oversalt yes. it. Uh-huh. But to see that hides it. We don't want to yeah. hide it. What we want to do is bring Show the salt up. level sure. up without adding more salt. Clever. So you go with the one that complements it instead of goes against it, mm. and that's acid. So I wonder if cooking with wine also is a substitute totally. for salt. Yes. Wine is one of the acids. So everyone's like, oh, you always put wine in your sauces. There's a reason we use wine in cooking, and it's not just to have the bottle of wine open and I can have a glass while I cook, even though that is one of the reasons. <laughs> That's why I do it. <laughs> That's a benefit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a benefit. But the reason you do it is because you want to add a little acid to the sauce. So wine goes in the acid category, like honey, maple, sugar. Those go in the sweet. Salty can be soy sauce, uh, sure. sea salt. I mean, there's a lot of different things to get those tastes. But, yeah, so think about all your acids. So it seems to me also that the way we were talking about sugar a few weeks back, how people get sort of desensitized to yeah. sugar and you feel like you need to add more and more and more. I'm finding with, especially being with Matt's mom, who who uses less salt, that we sort of calibrate our palate by backing off a of salt. And it may, the first couple of days, you know, you might suffer a little bit, but over time you can gradually decrease salt and not feel like you're missing it. Yeah, 100%. If you had low salt for a week, by the time you, now you're going to eat this high salt thing, it's going to taste so salty to mm. you because you're used to less. Yeah, yeah, I think they say it takes like two weeks to actually form yep. a habit or break a habit. <laughs> break so habit, maybe yeah. do that low salt thing for is two salt, weeks. Is salt a habit forming thing? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Chris. <laughs> and I, I love salt. You have a salt shaker <laughs> carried around. Well, hey, thank you for that excellent response. I feel like we've actually helped our listeners some there. And maybe lots of our listeners, too. Yeah, yeah I you think know, Alex and I as well, right? I'm trying to cut back a little bit on salt, even though I don't need to, but I think it's healthier, mm-hmm. probably. The other thing is I notice if you use like fresh, nice ingredients... You don't need to add as much flavor. So we are using like a a nice piece of salmon that actually has good flavor intrinsically. So you don't necessarily need to cover up anything. And, um, you know, Matt's mom will grow radishes in the greenhouse and they taste delicious on their own. So you don't really need to cover them up Yeah, because salt is a flavor enhancer. If you have something that's not as good quality, it has less flavor. It takes more salt to bring those flavors up. If you have something that's really fresh and high in flavor, you need less salt. I still want to do a Virginia country ham. (laughs) Yeah, no salt in that. No salt in that. Yeah, see, you go right off. (laughs) I think too, like, So easily. (laughs) One of the things that you are hitting on is this idea of cooking at home. You know, oh, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, and from scratch. And from yes, scratch. scratch. I think cooking. scratch is the biggest thing because you just look at what they're calling canned low-sodium chicken broth or beef broth. Start sometimes with, on the low end, 500 mm. milligrams. And things like chicken stock is so, in my opinion, so easy to make. Not just chicken. Like if you had, over the holidays, if you had a turkey, right? That's another great stock. Or duck or ham. Ham I mean, all those things soup? make great broth. Yeah. So if part of your New Year resolution was to cook from scratch more, we are totally behind that. And we hope you find some inspiration here. I know coming up, we have cookbook author Vanessa Cedar, and she's going to share some tips on how sauces elevate meals, everyday meals. So I guarantee you will find yourself doing some scratch cooking as early as this weekend. <laughs> let's, get, let's get started on that resolution. <laughs> 
Okay, so we'll get to our wine in a second, but Chris, if you could start us off with... uh, The best tip ever. We went through, Faith likes to call this the food cruise when we look through our magazines, and um, since she's on assignment, I thought I would take a page from her book, like literally take a page from her Cooks Illustrated, and share some of the recent tips that I thought our listeners might find inspiring. So, Chris, start us oh, off. Oh, this is, and this one, Alex was like, Chris, this is yours. Well, it has your name <laughs> it on it. It has your name on it, literally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, if you're like me when you're cooking at home, I can never find a bowl big enough to do whatever I'm doing in. But this person wrote in and said, this is the best substitute large bowl thing, and they're crock pots. So, yeah. the insert in a crock pot, especially if you have like the larger one, which is six quarts, it's right? Huge. That's, that's a huge mixing bowl and it's easy to clean i have another use for my (coughs) teen now crock box oh you're up one now moving on alex Alex, do you have a tip (laughs) yeah so along with eating more healthily i also like to try to be more environmentally conscious ziploc bags with all their fancy zippers are almost too fancy now to throw away after a single use like for example if you throw in like half a Green pepper, you know, it's a shame when you're, you know, when you use a green pepper a couple of days later to throw that like fancy looking Ziploc bag away. Someone suggests using a paper towel tube, gently rinse out that plastic zipper bag and then roll it and stick it into a paper towel roll. Oh, I love that idea. Then, because, right? Yeah, I have a drawer at home filled with like bags I've used <laughs> once or twice yeah. and I'm saving them and they're like falling out all over the place. So if I could put them in a paper towel roll, by the way, I just want to say they have a million uses and, and I love this one. that's just one of them. Yeah. I like that Floating idea. Floating like because... a horn. I have the same drawer Robin does. You just open the drawer and the bags jump out at you. Yeah. yeah. And I always feel sort of guilty putting a, a used Ziploc bag back into the Ziploc bag box. They can get us <laughs> to get a cross bag contamination. Oh, no, you know. They never go in neatly again. Yeah. So, yeah, I hate waste. Well, that's a good one. I've got one here. Um, it involves one of our favorite food things, and that is gravy. Just because the holidays are over, do not stop making gravy, people. <laughs> that gravy also can be used. You know, I put on like pasta, like wide egg pasta noodles. Yes. Like yeah, a little gravy oh, sort of oh, makes yeah. like an instant oh, yeah, beef like stroganoff. Beef stroganoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, put some peas in there. You got heaven. Absolutely. So instead of using a gravy boat, and I have a couple of beautiful gravy boats. One my aunt gave me. I mean, this thing has to be 100 years old. It's been in my family. I use it for special occasions and holidays. But I'm going to use something else now because instead of using your gravy boat, you can use a ceramic teapot. With a lid. Yes, with a lid. And then yeah, I thought, ooh, let's go, let's go one step further and like use any kind of thermos type thing. It's not beautiful, but if you're making gravy for everyday meals, yeah. go ahead and keep it warm with your thermos type your travel thing. mug. Your, your travel <laughs> mug, your coffee carafe. Yeah. And some have like a, a, the cozy. I'm thinking of my Scottish friend <laughs> Alex. Like teapots have like a little cozy on it. With the little thing you put on top of it, right? (laughs) You can keep your gravy warm for hours. Yeah, and maybe it can still be beautiful. All right, I've got one here that I absolutely love because I have a bunch of these, and they're the handheld milk frothers. And this person wrote in and said it's a great way to whip up salad dressings. Mm. So if you make your own salad dressing, a little mustard, a little vinegar, some herbs and spices, some salt, and and olive oil, and then you just take this little frother and you whip it all up together. It's a great use for it. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so Alex, do you have a wine tip for us? I do. Any bottle that has like a natural cork, 
sometimes you can break the cork trying to extract it out of the bottle. It's happened to everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> happened to me over the holidays, and it's so embarrassing if you do it in front of a group. Yeah, and it's even more embarrassing if you get little bits of cork in your glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you open bottles in the kitchen, what you can do is you can just take <laughs> like a strainer, like a metal strainer, and then you just pour the wine through the strainer. It gets rid of gets all, all the, the you know, embarrassing little... <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to open a correctly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you guys want to taste a quick wine? Yeah, definitely, yeah. since we're on wine. You know, um, Dalton Abbey, the, the Brits always oh, wow. talk about clarets and, mm-hmm. oh, we'll have a claret, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so I what, brought one for us. When is, they're not having yeah. tea. All right, before you go, what is, <laughs> yeah. I want to know this because I've seen it on bottles. Yeah, Today, what is claret, claret is used to mostly describe like a Bordeaux blend. So wines from California describing themselves as claret, but traditionally... In Bordeaux, and this was, you know, in the Middle Ages, uh, there was a region called Grave, named for its gravelly soil. So all the still, erosion, still there, still, right? still, there, still yeah. gravelly, and they produce a Bordeaux blend that the British would call a claret. And so this is a traditional claret. claret. So any like Downton Abbey, you know, you want to do a fancy beef Sunday dinner. I knew this wine was better. I have claret for us this evening. You know, and we we had it with pork tenderloin, but uh, hey, (laughs) and it worked. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So this is a claret called Chateau Simon or Simon, and it comes from Grave, which is a you know an appellation within Bordeaux, and it's seventy percent Merlot and thirty percent Cabernet Sauvignon. You know, I thought it would be fun for people who want to do a dinner party or with a friend or spouse or whatever, yeah. and you could have a, a claret. Yeah. I nice. like that's a good winter party, right? A cl- yeah, a beef. British party. <laughs> yeah, do a British do. party, get some beef, right? Uh-huh. And some then, popovers yeah, and with I, the fat. Yeah, and then you're just like, I have the claret for us. <laughs> and, and yeah, I was, so pinkies up. Tell yeah, us how yeah. much it costs. Yes. <laughs> so $20. Well, that's okay. not bad. No, so, yeah, use your Christmas money. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> No. I like it. We could even do like a marathon because I love the show for the dining scenes. How could yeah. you not? Yeah. And you'd have to do like a consomme or a soup, a yeah. broth first mm-hmm. and work your way through yeah. till you finally get as to the As long big... as you have a decent claret to serve. Mm. Uh, and, what is know, a weekend? I still remember. And I always feel like you have that. to take little bites, you know, like yeah. chop your food into like little tiny bites and then put it in your <laughs> mouth and talk. <laughs> you know, it's easy to find. So go to a good wine shop. The name of the wine is Chateau Simone. And within 24 to 48 hours. And now, you know, some of my wine shop friends say, give us a little more time. So, you know, within a couple days, if you want to try Claret, this would be a fun one. Thank you for that, Alex. Sure. Now, I want to do um, just one more tip from Cooks Illustrated before we move on to our final segment with the author, Vanessa Cedar. I wanted to give our listeners a little something for Super Bowl party time, which is coming up. So Sunday, Sunday, yes. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> now, everyone knows how to make guacamole with, you know, a couple of avocados and a bowl. You're, you're good to go. But what if you are making guacamole for a crowd? I found this thing in Cooks Illustrated, and I think it is ingenious. Get the picture here. You have a big bowl, and over your bowl, you have one of those wire cooling racks that you would cool your chocolate chip cookies on after they yep. come out of the yep. oven. Got it. You slice your avocado the way you normally would. Cut it in half, take the pit out. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then you just press the oh, avocado. Through the screen. Yes. And it that dices helps, it. It chunks up your avocado. Oh, that's clever. So, yeah, you do that with like, I don't know, maybe 10 avocados if you're making guacamole for a yeah. crowd, and there you go. I think that's brilliant. And if you don't have a large bowl? 
You could use your crock pot. In <laughs> yeah, Chris, excellent. <laughs> and don't don't forget the squeeze a lemon or lime to yeah, keep it from turning that. brown. But that's a great yeah. tip. Okay, so as I mentioned, on the other side of this break, food writer, teacher, and now cookbook author Vanessa Cedar talks about her cookbook secret sauces. It's not a secret, actually. Sauces make everything better. And you don't have to go to culinary school to make a great sauce. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week and for Faith's food, wine, cocktail, and restaurant recommendations, plus all the recipes we feature. We're always online at foodschmooze.org. Coming up, sauces for these favorites, seared scallops and pork tenderloin. We'll be right back. Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life, coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the East End of Long Island, and the Hamptons. You can hear our show on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and 9 and every Saturday at noon. Podcasts and Faith's curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Talk to us and each other on Facebook. We have a wonderful community of home cooks there. Gladys, Jason, Judy, Renata, <laughs> Sally, Mrs. Kern. Her mm. name is actually Sandy, but I grew up in Bristol with her children, so she'll always be Mrs. Mrs. Kern, Kern to me. Nice. Uh, and the very beautiful Mrs. Province. We love Aww. you guys. And I promise we are only related to some of these people. When you're on Facebook, simply search Faith Middleton Fuchmoos. Today's show was produced by me, Robin Doyan Aiken. I'm joined in the studio by Faith's beloved food buddies and my buddies too, senior contributors Chris Prosperi and Alex Province. Faith is on assignment, which is a shame because this book, Secret Sauces, is right up her alley. The idea here is that a sauce can be transformative. It can make a good dish great. We know that. Sauces take some thought, though, and a couple of extra steps, and um, home cooks can sometimes feel intimidated, but not to worry. Our guest, Vanessa Cedar, is a food writer, a stylist, and the founding member of a culinary design collaborative called Relish & Co. I love that name. Vanessa's book, Secret Sauces, demystifies sauce making. Vanessa Cedar, welcome to the Food Schmooze. Thank you so much, Robin, for having me. One of the things I love about this book is that you say, in essence, you know, Here's the fancy French way of making this sauce. But then there's this other way that I've invented because it's easier or faster or because it's just a more modern approach to making this type of sauce. And I think that gives today's home cooks a way in. Yes, definitely. I went to culinary school in 2003, and it was classic French technique. So we learned all about the classic sauces, which can be very time-consuming and in this book, we actually modernized the mother sauces just for fun. I just wanted... <laughs> I like that you say just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's fun. And I hope it's fun to others as well. I just really wanted to create a very tangible cookbook that people would want to cook from and that would help 
transform their everyday meals. I want to start with your faux aioli. I love faux anything in cooking because it means like right away that there's a hack or a cheat or a shortcut involved. So let's hear what's behind this aioli. In the aioli, there's no eggs in it whatsoever. It's actually a combination of tahini, lemon zest, whole milk, plain yogurt, a couple garlic cloves, which are minced, heavy cream and salt. And I know it sounds counterintuitive to add rich things to a tahini, like yogurt or cream, but it really helps balance out the bitterness. Each tahini has a different flavor profile, and some of them can be quite bitter. So this kind of balances out that, and it creates this faux aioli without any eggs involved. I kind of like that. So you don't just make your aioli and your your faux aioli, I should say, and think, well, what am I going to do with this after I make it? The book offers lots of specific examples. If you have any leftover aioli, is great with french fries. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Some of the um, extra credit ideas, if we're calling them extra credit in the book, some of the ones that go with this recipe are uh, to roast a whole cauliflower head and then serve it with some of that folioli or swirl into a bowl of lentils. Or you can schmear onto toasted flatbread. That's the one I like. Add some roast beef or lamb. Kind of a shawarma. Yeah. (laughs) The corresponding recipe to this one, the beet and polenta cakes, are... I love cakes of all kinds. Mm. (laughs) You know, They're so vibrant looking. Yeah. They are beautiful. Let's get to the pork tenderloin that we just had because... It was delicious. We can't hold back anymore. (laughs) It is a fig and balsamic agrodolce, and Mm -hmm. don't be afraid of this fancy word, people, because aren't we really talking about a pan sauce here? Exactly. Agrodolce is a classic Italian sauce. It's basically just a sweet and sour sauce. This one is made with dried figs, so you don't have to wait for fig season, Mm -hmm. and some balsamic vinegar. To make it, you want to start with the fond, F-O-N-D in yes. the pan. Yeah, another fancy word. I like word your description, though, for the bits. means something brown wonderful. <laughs> A.K.A. Yes. brown bits. Yeah, tell us about that. To get a good fond, you want to start by cooking any protein, whether it's beef or, in this case, pork tenderloin. The pork tenderloin and with rosemary recipe that accompanies it is pan-roasted. And mm-hmm. you start by searing your protein in a very, very hot cast iron skillet get it very hot, and then you sear it on all sides, and then you just finish it in the oven so it kind of slowly cooks in the oven to the right temperature. And then when you take it out of the pan to rest, that's when you start making your sauce. So in the pan, you have the fond. Now, the fond are the little crispy caramelization brown bits that form from the sugars and the protein. Mm, that good you cook. stuff. And the key is that they're not burnt, though. You want them brown but not exactly. blackened. And that's going to give you a lot of flavor in the sauce. So you start with that, and then you add some unsalted butter. I always use unsalted butter for everything. Let that melt, and then you add your shallots and your dried figs and your rosemary, and you let that cook down, and then you add your balsamic vinegar, and you let that reduce and let the sugars come out, and it mellows it out a little bit. And then you just add some low-sodium chicken or beef broth, and then at the end, here's another French term for you. It's mont a beurre, mount with butter. Oh, <laughs> lots of butter. <laughs> you take your Love cold that. butter and you just whisk it in to glisten it and thicken it. The extra credits on this one have me drooling. The pizza. 
Oh, why not, right? Right, so, smear yeah. this on pizza dough with sausage? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. This, or prosciutto? This, this yeah. fake and balsamic sauce, it made every bite of this pork tenderloin, and there was there is enough figs in here that you have mm-hmm. a fig for each and every bite. It was just sublime. It, oh, it was I'm so, so glad wonderful. you liked it. And the rosemary, there's something about balsamic and rosemary and fig together that, to me, is just, it's the most wonderful, savory thing. People might have leftover dried figs from the holidays, stuffed in a drawer or something. And if you're going to make this one, double the agrodolce fig stuff, because you got the fond, right? Make a double batch of it in that one pan. Gosh, all the other stuff you can do with it? Like the aioli, this is a winner. Try making it with fresh figs, too. I just missed figs so much. I'm from California, <laughs> and I was lucky enough to have all these fresh figs. But they're expensive, and very they're delicate. They don't last long. So just a couple this of is days. a way to have some fig in the wintertime. I feel like the dried fig also has like a chewy toothsomeness mm-hmm. to it, Yeah, right? Yeah, I like it's that. almost raisiny, and yeah. I, I love dried figs. I get them at Costco, humongous bag. Big bags. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm thinking you could almost take that sauce and fold it into leftover brown rice or something and sort of make oh, like yeah. a Middle Eastern put it on, uh, leftover dinner. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Polenta. Oh, oh yeah. Mm. Serve it along with a cheese plate. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Just in a little dish. Gargonzola. Glass yeah. mm-hmm. of crackers. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this, is, good. this is one you have to make a double batch of. Anytime you have a pan that you've cooked a protein in, I feel like it's such a waste to put that in the sink and washing the pan without utilizing these brown bits of the farm mm-hmm. beforehand because it's so much flavor in that pan. Yeah, I mean, that's the basis of any pan sauce, really, right? You don't want to waste it. You can always make a simple pan sauce, even with just some sort of an aromatic. It could just be an onion or garlic, anything, and then maybe some wine. Liquid broth. to reduce it down, right? Yeah. yeah, you just reduce. Even if you don't use it that night, you can just put it in a container and mm-hmm. put it in the refrigerator and use it later in the week on something. Mm, yeah, that's the thing. definitely. People don't think about saving their brown bits the way they would save any other leftover thing. Yeah. And tragedy. Flavor. Tragedy. <laughs> Kitchen <laughs> tragedy. Yes. And um, I guess I'm going to say France again. You know, you have a, a roast chicken over the spit, and, and underneath you roast your potatoes. Oh, and our favorite. Chicken Evan. fat, yeah. you know, and you get some of the fond from the chicken drippings mm-hmm. into the potatoes, and... Oh, it's just so good, right? Yeah. We always mm. laugh about duck fat, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, potatoes. The oh. <laughs> we are speaking with Vanessa Cedar. She is the author of Secret Sauces. These are sauces that you don't need to be intimidated by. Make them to elevate everyday dishes. One of the goals, it seems like, in your book, Vanessa, is using the vehicle of sauces to expose people to all kinds of cuisines and flavor profiles and global food. It really has an international focus to it. One of the reasons why the book is actually called Secret Sauces is that, though many of the sauces are entirely my own creation, there are quite a few that were inspired by specific sauces I came across in my foodie excursions, both in New York City, uh, growing up in Los Angeles, and also abroad when I was traveling. I seem to have a compulsion to try to recreate some of these sauces and to decode and reveal the hidden flavors and ingredients in them. I often add my own twist. A few examples are I have, I call it street meat sauce. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like it already. (laughs) Yeah. That's that white sauce. If you've ever been to New York City and you go to Midtown, there's these Middle Eastern food carts that are so good. They are. 
You've had it? Yes. Before? And I don't drink soda a lot, but that with a can of Coca-Cola. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot totally. of napkins. Soda pairing. <laughs> yeah. So good. Well, so then you've had the white sauce. Yeah, so I love it. In the book. And then I also have like a, so like a limey masala sauce and one of the orange ginger carrot dressing you get at Japanese restaurants. I have my own oh, twist. Talk about your miso and lime dressing, which you sure. pair up with some seared scallops. Now, I'm on a miso kick lately. We had a, a miso dish a week or two ago, and I'm still thinking about it. I love miso. I want to have it in everything. So how does this one come together? When I was growing up, we always had miso paste around because in <laughs> That's a Los lucky Angeles, childhood. <laughs> oh, well, there's so much Asian culture and Hispanic culture in, in Los Angeles and California in general. So I always thought of it beyond the ubiquitous miso soup, and it's so good. I even like putting a little bit on my tongue on its own. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought that was only like, me. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, you're with friends here. <laughs> I, lo- I love it, too. I'm a huge fan of miso, and it's so good for you. It's a live food, mm-hmm. and it has good bacteria in it. And so, I didn't know um, that. Such a healthy food, yeah. You know, and there's so many different types of miso, too. There's rich, dark ones. And, and the one used in this is a very mild, sweet, light miso. You can buy it at most markets. Once again, we are using a little bit of raw garlic in this. It has a little bit of a kick, but it's not overpowering. Some sweetness from either honey or agave nectar, sesame oil, uh, fresh lime juice, mm-hmm. and for the salt, just some low-sodium soy sauce. So you just whisk it together and it gets really thick because of the miso paste. So you add a little bit of water to thin it out. This recipe is paired with seared sea scallops. I'm in Maine right now. That's where I live. And we're lucky enough to have beautiful seafood here. And We have these gorgeous sea scallops all the time. And yeah. when you buy them, though, you want to make sure you get the dry ones. Don't get the wet ones because they're packed in um, a sulfate solution that helps preserve them, but it also takes away the flavor. They cost more because you're paying for the weight of them. And also, they don't caramelize in the pan. You want that searing water. Yeah, Yeah, water doesn't sear. (laughs) No. So if you can, get the dry ones, and then you sear them in the pan, and you toss them with this dressing, and then just kind of top it with that. And it's just kind of it could be an appetizer or a light meal, or you could have it with something else on the side. Yeah, Sauvignon um, Blanc, maybe. <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah. You would suggest that as a wine to well, pair with. You know, um, miso has that, we were just talking about umami, umami with yeah. Chris, so that mm-hmm. pairs so beautifully with wine. So even a Pinot Noir would go really beautifully with this. Ah, yes. that's a good thing I love Pinot Noir so much. Mm. <laughs> Vanessa Cedar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun to talk to all three of you. Just know for the rest of your your day that you have inspired some home cooks to up their game a little bit with uh, some of these sauces. Oh, I hope so. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our guest was Vanessa Cedar. You'll find the recipes we talked about and information about her cookbook, Secret Sauces, on our site, foodschmooze.org. And if you've got your own secrets for making great sauces, don't keep them to yourself. Share your tips with us on Facebook or leave a comment on the site. Special thanks to Chris and Alex, of course, for their contributions today and every week, really. 
We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, keep an ear out for Faith's 60-second food schmoozes. She'll be back before you know it. In the meantime, I'm Robin Doyon Aiken. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.